Welcome to Fam Room Discussions, where I open up my fam room to talk about the week's lessons from Come Follow Me. I'm not a church historian or a scripture scholar. I'm just an average Latter-day Saint seeking to grow my faith in Christ and deepen my testimony of the gospel and the scriptures. Discussing Come Follow Me with others helps me in my conversion. I hope you'll join in the gospel dialogue by sharing your insights. Without further ado, let's start this family room discussion. Sisters and brothers, family and friends, this is episode 7 following along with Ye Must Be Born Again, John chapters 2 to 4. Two random thoughts that I want to share before we even get into this discussion. And it really, really does not apply to anything, but... I don't know. It's just, I want to share. Okay. I just want to share it. First, uh, our church flooded this week, which is just kind of nuts to me. It got so cold um, and it froze something and everyone acts like because I'm a guy and an adult, I understand the, 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 you know, the finer details about, I don't know, like Home Depot. I, I don't know. I walk into Home Depot and I'm as lost as anyone. And everyone's like, Dalton, but how do you not know this stuff? I'm like, I, I because I, cause I don't, I don't know. I know words. I don't know what a hose bib is. I don't even know what you're talking about. Anyway, something about the hose bib or something, the drain, bib, I don't know. The bib was definitely used. That froze and then it froze the pipe. See, I understand the physics of this. Water froze, broke the pipe. Some, so, some detail of, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't understand. I don't even pretend to understand but everyone else understood because they were all telling me like this was, you know, elementary. And I was like, I don't get what happened. But water went backwards back into the church. So the water was pouring the wrong way. That's the best I understand. I, I think of it like a mo- Anyway, it doesn't matter. It was, it flooded the church. Okay. So we were able to have sacrament, but they had to uh, cancel second hour because of this, this, uh, flooding that occurred. So my kids learned a new word this week, which was flood. And they, when we explained it to them, they had this mental image that the church was now an aquarium and there were fish swimming in the church. And I I was like, no, 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 that's not. And I didn't even know how to explain it. I was like, no, you guys kind of have the right concept, but no. Anyway, that was a random thing that happened. Doesn't, again, applies to nothing, but it was wild, and I just wanted to share. Second thing, it is Super Bowl Sunday in a week, and fun fact about me, I love the Super Bowl, not because I really care about the NFL or football or anything, but it's a great opportunity to make a bunch of food, like overabundance of food, and it's all my favorite foods. So, you know, chicken wings and nacho cheese dip and... I don't, spinach artichoke dip and brownies and uh, just all this stuff. I'm so, I love Super Bowl Sunday for one reason and one reason alone. I get to make a ton of food and invite people over. So that's that's why I'm excited. I don't really care about the game. But if I did care, go, go Chiefs. Uh, go Chiefs. Anyway, just want to get those random things out of the way. Here we go. At a marriage feast in Cana, Christ changed water into wine, the event John called the beginning of miracles. That's true in more than one sense. While this is the first, while this was the first miracle Jesus performed publicly, it can also symbolize another miraculous beginning, the process of our hearts being transformed as we become ever more like the Savior. This miracle of a lifetime begins with the decision to follow Jesus Christ, to change and live a better life through him. This miracle can also be so life-changing that being born again is one of the best ways to describe it. But rebirth is just the beginning of the path of discipleship. Christ's words to the Samaritan woman at the well remind us that if we continue on this path, eventually the gospel will become a well of water inside us, springing up into everlasting life. I want to share 
one perspective. Um, this isn't a teaching. This is just a perspective in its mind. I often struggle being stoked when I think about my baptism back when I was eight. Um, not because I don't think it was one like one of the best decisions I've ever made. It was. Um, I definitely did make the decision. I don't feel like it was, you know, I was brainwashed or forced to do anything like that. Nope, I wanted to be baptized. Uh, at the time, felt like I understood everything I needed to know to make that decision. Um, but when I look back, you know, because in this lesson it talks about, think about the feelings and thoughts you had at your baptism and how that changed your life. I got to be honest. I don't have the feelings that I feel like I would like to have. And I don't know what those are. Maybe it's just, just this outpouring of like, oh, what an amazing day. What an amazing moment. You know, Lex and I were teaching our kids and talking about baptism this past week and Come Follow Me. She asked me to bear my testimony about my baptism day, which I did. And she's like, that's it. That's all you got. And I was like, well, it wasn't. <laughs> what do you want me to say about it? I was eight years old. I remember it. Um, but when I think about, it's like going back an entire lifetime type of thing to say, was that like this pinnacle, this, was that the pinpoint moment where my testimony began? It wasn't. My testimony began before that. And it's been so incremental. There are definitely times in my life where I can say that was a huge pivotal moment. There was a time on my mission that I can easily go back to and say, this was a moment that changed my life forever. Um, you know, it was, it was because a dear friend of mine, uh, Travis Earnshaw bore testimony to me. He didn't even at the time recognize how important his testimony was. Um, and then more than that, he he became my friend and let me know he was my friend. And that was a moment that changed my life forever because I was going to, I don't know if I really was going to leave or not, but I was pretty committed to going home early and not staying and finishing my mission because I just hated it. I hated the the first kind of five, six weeks of my mission. And I thought it was terrible. But him bearing testimony of how life-changing his mission was for him and also that he'd be willing to be my friend, that was a, a moment that changed my life, right? See, I can talk about that story. I can tell you those emotions. But when it comes to baptism, a uh, very important decision, I would make it a thousand times over. I would absolutely make that a thousand times over. But do I look back and say, that day was so... No, I think it was just a day. Honestly, I think I woke up like a Saturday like any other, and was like, oh yeah, we're going to go to church today. Um, that's what I remember about it. So that's a perspective. I, maybe that matches how you feel. Maybe it's the same where you're like, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it too. Like amazing decision would of course make that again. Um, or maybe you're more like someone else who, you know, maybe it's like that was one of the most monumentous days of your life and you remember every detail about it. It meant so much to you. And, and that's also amazing. Um, you know, I, I, what, what I'm trying to get at on this one is I don't think you need to put yourself into a box of this is what that's supposed to look like. So force it to look like that. My day was just a regular day. It was a good decision. It was a solid decision. I'm glad I've made it. It has obviously led the course of my life to where it is right now, to which I'm forever grateful. But honestly, it was it was just a day. It was just a decision. It was something I knew I needed to do, so I did it, and that's it. Okay, with that perspective out of the way, there are three things I want to talk about today. They don't really fit too much of a pattern, but I can be pretty focused on what they are, so I will try not to uh, talk them into the ground. 
First was in section two, I must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Christ is talking to Nicodemus. I would like to go through this exchange. There are a couple things that I want to pull out. The two things uh, specifically, though, come from verse five and then from verse 12. Okay, so in verse two, uh, nope, I lied. Let's do it. Verse one, just to give full context to this. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came by to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the, the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, this is verse 5, Jesus answered, Very, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is Christ bearing testimony about baptism and receiving the Holy Ghost. Why am I pointing it out? Because if you have ever come across anyone who's like, I don't need to be baptized, or I don't need to receive the Holy Ghost, whether it's in our own um our own church or outside of our own church, or you've ever had this conversation, I certainly have. I've had it with family members, had it with friends. Christ bears testimony that um, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So that is the first gate that must be passed through to enter the kingdom of God. There doesn't need to be a debate about it because Christ said it himself. That's all I want to say about it. Verse 6 that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said, to him, un said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? By the way, there's a quick side note. I love <laughs> the call out by Christ here, because he knows what Nicodemus is doing. Um, and this, I'm going to give an unfairness to Nicodemus. It says this in the lesson that he starts out where he comes to Christ, uh, privately as a cautious observer, then he publicly defends Christ. And then he full on is with the believers later, right? Like we get to kind of see Nicodemus's, uh, conversion story unfold. And this is the first interaction, which he's the cautious observer, right? Kind of a doubter kind of coming in. Um, he already says that it's like, the Pharisees know that he comes from God because he has this doctrine with him. He has this teaching, but he's still like, I just don't know. So he's almost challenging Christ. And I love how Christ just calls him out in verse 10. Art thou a master of Israel? No, it's not these things. I love it. Verse 11, verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and we receive not our witness and ye receive not our witness. And then in verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? My thought I want to share with you is that you got to put in the work of faith. If you have ever said, I just want to know the mysteries of the kingdom. I just want to know, I, I want answers to this particular question or this particular, particular gospel principle, whatever it is, you got to put in the work and you have to stop doubting uh, the teachings that come from the scriptures, that come from our prophet and our apostles, you have to stop doubting because how are you going to learn anything if you're just going to allow your doubts to lead you? Let your faith lead you. Go on this journey, and I promise you, you will receive eternal truths. Christ himself says, if I've told you earthly things and you can't believe those, how the heck are you going to believe heavenly things? 
So cast away your doubts, be serious about it, be intentional about it, and act in faith. I promise you, you will receive those answers, but you cannot receive answers if you're going to lead with your doubts. So stop it. Um, okay, the next thing I want to share, it's in cha- it's in the section three. It says, Heavenly Father shows his love for me through Jesus Christ. And it's in John chapter three, verse 17. Now, you probably know verse 16 really well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But 17, I think, is an incredibly important verse as well. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that that the world through him might be saved. This should change our mindset as members, as disciples, from focusing on the punishments of sin, the punishments of not following the commandments, and it should instead shift our mindsets to the saving grace of Christ. This is not to say there are not consequences with their actions. We know there certainly are. Um, but I have seen the damage done when we teach purely to these are the commandments and you have to keep these or else it's hellfire. Um, I actually just had a conversation this week with uh, two dear friends who are not active, uh, haven't been for years. Uh, they wouldn't even consider themselves members at this point or, or anything like that. And in our, we were talking about something completely unrelated to the gospel. It started to switch into philosophy and then from philosophy turned into a gospel discussion and the only thing that they could really talk about from like their experience as member when they were active in their youth was the word of wisdom and the do's and don'ts of the word of wisdom. They couldn't even tie it to why Christ has given us the word of wisdom or why, you know, their relationship with Christ or anything like that. They could only give me the do's and don'ts of commandments. And I thought, man, what a missed, what a missed um, opportunity for them when they were participating for anyone to really help them connect and have a relationship with Christ because neither of them really believe or have a testimony or relationship with Jesus Christ. But from their time when they were participating and coming to church, they can remember the do's and don'ts. That to me shows the, that they were not having interactions. And, and again, um, I believe in the responsibility that we all have individually of our own testimonies. Like you, you have to put in the work. But also, it's really sad to me if the environment that we're creating is not one where people who do kind of lack that own personal accountability, that own personal responsibility, can come and have those seeds planted. It just makes me super sad that that's what they got. They never connected anything back to how that ties to Jesus Christ. I think it's really easy because we do have a tendency to focus on the do's and don'ts. Anyway, enough of that. I just think that that verse is important. It can shift our mindset to what Christ does. Christ loves us. He doesn't give us commandments so that he can find reasons to punish us. He gives us commandments to save us because he loves us and he wants us to live the best life possible. Last thing I want to talk about, this is had nothing to do with the lesson, but it really impacted me. It's in John chapter 4. There's a couple verses. The one that's leading up to is verse 42. So, Prior to this, around, you know, in John chapter 4, he talks to the woman at the well, has this experience with her, he teaches her doctrine, uh, he teaches her doctrine. She goes, and she goes to tell, the, it says, the men of the city. And she says in verse 29, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did, is not this the Christ? 
Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have, not, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say ye not that there are four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap, that whereon you bestow no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered uh, into the, their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he bowed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Now in 42. And I want to say the reason I read all of this was leading up into the way Christ teaches. If you pay attention to how he teaches, you will learn so much more about uh, both the principles and the eternal truths that he's teaching, but also about him and his character. Uh, He teaches simply. He teaches directly. And it's so powerful. And I'm obviously, I'm trying to learn how to teach the way he teaches because uh, one of the most obvious weaknesses I have in my teaching is I'm a rambler. I go on and I tangent and I, all these things, right? I'm doing it right now. And he was able, he was a master at being focused, being direct and getting exactly where he was trying to get to. Something that I am really trying to practice and work on because the power is just apparent. Verse 42, and said unto the woman, now we believe. Not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So that was the men of the city to the woman, that they believed. And why did they believe? Because they had heard it from Christ themselves. What can we? What, what do I feel like we can learn from this? As teachers, and we are all teachers, it says so in uh, Teaching the Savior's Way, it says that every single person, whether you're called or not, is a teacher. As teachers, it is not our word that people need to believe. It is not like your children don't need to believe you because of you. Okay. What we need them to believe or do rather is to act in faith. And often it's because of our testimony that sparks that interest, sparks that belief, but we need them to act, to experiment and to go to Christ themselves. It's not enough to say, I got on my knees and prayed and got answers to my prayers. And that's why I believe. And that's why you should believe. That's, that's a missed opportunity. What you need to do is help them connect. Oh, you're going through a struggle in your life? I have gone through struggles in my life. I have gotten on my knees. I have prayed in faith, and I have received answers to those prayers. Try it. Tell me what happens. Experiment. Go and do for yourself. As we help connect, whether it's our children, our family members, our loved ones, as we connect them, help them see how experimenting on the word, will bring them the blessings that they deeply desire and need in their life, I promise you, you will see conversion take place. But if you become the person that blocks faith building because you're like, just believe me, just, I've done it, just trust me, you will damn their progress, and by so doing, you will damn yourself as well. We've got to be better teachers we have got to be better, whether it's our children, our family and friends, loved ones, acquaintances, people we meet on the street. I don't care if it's a random person that comes up to you, like this had happened to me, and I, I wish, I wish so bad 
I would have done it properly. I was at work. This was years ago. I was at work sitting at my desk. Someone came in and said, Dalton, you're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Why do you believe that the scriptures are true? Why do you believe the Book of Mormon is true? I bore testimony, but I never encouraged them to go and read it themselves. I said, I mean, I, I think I gave a, a weak softball, soft pitch kind of like, look, all I can say is I've read the scriptures. I know they're true. You should give it a try. Like, it was so weak. And I regret that I didn't, with all the power of my soul, say, the scriptures have saved my life. I do not travel in darkness day to day because I have the scriptures to guide me. They literally have saved my life over and over again from making terrible mistakes and terrible decisions. I know for a fact, if you will read them, they will do the same for you. I, I know with everything in my soul, please go and try it. Just read the scriptures and tell me what happens in your life. If I would have done that, I know the results would have been so different. And I didn't. And all I can do is learn from that mistake, learn from that failure, and be ready. Be ready and looking for opportunities to continue to bear testimony of the scriptures. So learn from my mistakes, learn from my failures, and be ready yourself for the day that someone comes into to wherever you're at, your home, your office, your on the street, it doesn't matter. Be ready to bear testimony and then make sure to invite them to act on whatever it is that you have a testimony of, act. Make people agents. Trust in them. Trust that they will be able to have the same experiences you have. If you truly have faith in your own experiences, then you will have no problem inviting them to act. But I'm telling you, people wonder why it feels like you know, the kids of the rising generation just struggle to be able to have faith. They struggle to be able to gain a testimony, all these things. I have no, I have, I know exactly why there's a struggle. And it's because they, they have not been given the opportunity to act for themselves. We have taken away decisions from children. We have tried to protect them from the world. And rather than trust them and believe that just like we've survived, just like we've made it in the gospel and all these things, we have not given them the same opportunities to grow and to go through trials, to have to rely on Christ the same way that we've been forced to. These do not need to be, like, we don't need to be rolling the dice with the next generation. We don't. We can be better teachers. We can rise up to this challenge that is on us to help the next generation and to help those around you. Okay. Getting off that passion. Um trip. I just, the passion comes because I have failed at this so many times. And I just wish someone would have pointed at me, point a mirror in my face and say, Dalton, you've, you've borne testimony and that's awesome, but you have not helped other people go and be agents unto themselves. Why don't you trust people to go and act the same way that you've been, you know, trusted to go and act. And so I'm really passionate about it because again, I just feel like I've got I've got to make up for, for my failings. So yeah, that's all I got. Uh, thank you for joining this family room discussion. And until we meet again, have a blessed week.